Because our vertical relationship with God, this right here, determines our horizontal relationship with people. Would you agree with that? How well we're in a relationship with God determines how well we, are, we can be in relationships with other people. Would you agree? Say amen. Okay. Now, the, uh, the, the, the flip side of that is true, too. That our, our horizontal relationship with people identifies to us how well our vertical relationship with God is. You can't be bad with your spouse and good with God. Preach, preacher. <laughs> you can't have a broken relationship with your kids for a long period of time and not be good with God. You can't be bad with people and good with God at the same time. Relationships are important. They're so important to God that he put more than you on the planet. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Right? You could be like Tom Hanks stranded on an island all by yourself. You and Wilson. If you didn't see the movie, Wilson was the, the soccer ball that he made. Volleyball that he made a friend with. Thank you for correcting me on that. Appreciate that. I want to be accurate. (laughs) But our vertical relationship with God determines how our horizontal relationships with people go. So if this is good, then when this gets tested, it should still be good. And that's what we've been trying to do for the last three weeks is, is to teach you very simply how to have good, healthy relationships with people because it is a reflection of how well your relationship is with God. If you've been a Christian for more than a year and you've been walking with Christ, been in life groups and these kinds of things, when somebody pulls out in front of him, you ought to not be throwing them the bird anymore. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to quit that. I've been telling you. I'll never forget my oldest was driving, uh, just learning to drive, and she was at the Walmart parking lot, I believe it was, and she went one way and the lady coming the other way wanted to go that way. And my daughter was a little confused and my wife was in the car with her and the lady just flipped her off. And Virginia had never been flipped off before. <laughs> and she, she got a little offended. She said, oh, she threw the bird at me. <laughs> That's what she said. She threw the bird at me. Anyway, I don't know why I got on that. <clears throat> but today we're going to wrap up our series on relationships with the last topic. And man, I think this is a big one. I'm glad you came to church today, by the way. I didn't promote this message too much because some of you might not have showed up for church. Uh, today, we're going to talk about offenses. <laughs> Yay, Pastor, woo! Didn't want to hear about them offenses. <laughs> we're talking about offenses today. How many of you would say, I've been offended? Everybody needs to put your hand in the air, wave it like you just don't care. Come on. Everybody's been offended, right? We've all been offended. That's the truth. I heard a story the other day uh, about Muhammad Ali. You remember Muhammad Ali, the famous fighter? Muhammad Ali got on an airplane and, and the stewardess came by and said, Mr. Mr. Ali, you need to put your seatbelt on. He looked at her and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she responded, Superman don't need an airplane neither. Now put your seatbelt on. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So watch this. You're not Superman and you're not Wonder Woman. They don't exist. That's characters, right? Every one of us is going to face an offense. You're not exempt from being offended. I'm glad I came to church today. I'm going to be offended Monday. 
just want to help you. You're all going to be offended. Nobody gets a free pass from offense. You can hide yourself in a cave on a deserted island with only you. And eventually you will offend you. Amen? You'll get offended by the weather. You'll get offended by the bugs that crawl around. You'll get offended by something. We all get offended. So what do we do when we get offended? Oh, that's easy, pastor. We attack back. I feel you. In my flesh, I feel you. In my spirit, no. So I've got three thoughts on offenses this morning. I want to give them to you real quick. Uh, the first one is, is it's coming after all of us. That's my first thought. It's coming after all of us. Offense is coming your way. And listen to me. I don't like preaching this message today. Because every time I preach a message on Sunday, I get tested with that message on Monday. And I hate it. I'm about to turn into straight up Joel Osteen and preach love, peace, and hair grease because Monday's coming. Amen? I mean, I'm just like, golly, I got to deal with this on Monday because the Lord's saying if you're going to stand in front of them people and point your finger and get all red in the face, then I'm going to see if you're going to walk through it. I'm going, but I don't want to walk through it. So I guess I'm going to get offended this week. But that's okay. I'm just trying to help you. It's true, though. I ain't going to lie to you. Monday's always coming. <laughs> Let go with me to Luke chapter 17. I love you. <laughs> Thank you uh, for, for that single person that loves me. I'm, I'm sharp today. I'm counting everything. <laughs> Luke chapter 17. Watch what Jesus says in this verse. Uh, I'm going to read to you. We're going to be in Luke from the New King James Version. I'm normally in the, in the NLT Version, but I'm going to take... Just Luke from the NKJV this morning. It says this, Jesus speaking, listen to these words, listen carefully. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. It is impossible that no offenses should come. You are going to be offended is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Now watch this second half because we're going to get into this on point two. The second half of this sentence says, but woe to him through whom they do come. In other words, woe to the offender. I'm going to teach you something today about how much God really loves you and how much God's going to defend you and protect you. Because I don't want you to have to defend yourself. Amen. Jesus said. It is impossible that no offenses would come your way. So I'm guaranteeing you today that you will be offended again and again and again. Until you die, you will be offended. Somebody's going to offend you. And here's the thing that most Christians have a hard time with. I can be in the perfect will of God doing exactly what he said to do in the right place at the right time with the right people and still be offended. You don't get offended when you sin. Offense is not a repercussion of sin. Offense comes at you when, when, you, when you all add in a bag of chips. Somebody's going to roll their eyes at you. Somebody's going to talk behind your back. Somebody's, and listen to me. You get involved in the church. You think that ain't going to happen to you? It, may, it might even happen more in the church. That's it. There goes my dream team. Out the window. I quit the church. I can be offended at Walmart. I don't need to go to church. <laughs> But isn't it true? How many of you have been offended in church? By church folk? By people that love Jesus? Come on. How many of you have been offended by a Christian? Oh, 
<laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. How many of you have been offended by me? No, don't answer that. <laughs> I wasn't even looking up, so it didn't matter. <laughs> I heard a story uh, this weekend about New Zealand. When you go to New Zealand, I don't know if you realize this, but 41% of the birds in New Zealand can't fly. Think about that. 41% of the birds in New Zealand can't fly. The reason is, is because there's no predators there. There's, there's no reason for them to fly. So over the years, they've, they've developed a, a different type of wing. They've, they've kind of transformed and they've lost these big wings that they could fly with. And now they've got these little nubs and these, these birds, when you, they say when you go there, I've never been there, but they say when you go there, it's just like tons of birds just walking around that can't fly. The reason is, is because they had no reason to fly. They had no reason to run. They had no reason to fly high and get away out of danger because there was no danger. Right? As Christians, if we run from offenses every chance we get, we're eventually going to lose our ability to fly high and get next to God. Are you seeing this? Because some of you, when you get offended, your prayer life needs to fly a little higher. Amen? Your relationship with Jesus needs to get a little bit tighter. Come on, you need to raise up a little bit. You need to get some lift. An airplane doesn't take off with the wind. An airplane takes off against the wind. Why? Because it needs that contrary offense of the wind to get the lift. How do you know that, Pastor? Are you a pilot? No, I live by an airstrip. They fly early on Saturday morning. Right, Kyle? Kyle flies by my house sometimes. I've been offended by Kyle. I just I need to confess. Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, Kyle, you've offended me. I forgive you. We're all good, right? I still love you. Amen. I feel good. I didn't even realize that was in there. You know, it just kind of popped up. Love you, Kyle. I'm just messing. But 41% of them birds can't fly because they have nothing to fly up for. You can see offense one or two ways. You can be offended and respond two ways. One way will take you down into this deep, dark crevice where you become angry, bitter, jealous. You start gossiping. You start murmuring. You start throwing out curses with your mouth. Come on. Yeah, Christians can throw out curses. The Bible says it in James. With the tongue, you can bless and you can curse. You'll get offended and you can go down and get worse and you'll become bitter and not better. Or when a fence comes your way, you can use it as a little bit of lift to get closer to God and say, you know what, God, they hurt me. That hurt. I'm not mad at them, but man, I, I could throw punch them right now, Lord. You ever tell God that? I had, a, I had a, a friend of mine one time. He said, he said, I was so mad. I told God, turn your head for five minutes. Just five minutes, God. But we can see offenses one or two ways. They can take us down or they can give us lift. Come on, somebody. Conflict, we can respond two ways. When conflict comes at us, we can let it be something that pushes us into a shell or a cave. Or we can let it be something that that lifts us higher to Jesus. We get to hear him. And then watch this. When you go through conflict with somebody and you resolve it properly, you actually get closer. My best friend in the whole world. We became best friends at church, at the Baptist church, when I was probably nine or ten years old. It was my first day in Sunday school, and he had been there for a while. 
And he was picking on me. I was smaller back in those days. It happened. And he, he threatened me. He said, I'm going to put a green mark on your nose with this marks a lot. This is, this is in Sunday school, y'all. I said, you do. I'm going to beat you up. Well, then it was on then, right? Because all the other buddies were like, okay, well, who's going to do what? You know, wasn't nobody, none of your buddies go, well, y'all calm down. They're like, oh, you heard what he said? Oh, you going to do it or not? You, you chicken? So he walked up to me with a green marks a lot. Put it on my nose. Then I, in the inside, I was going like, dang, I got to back my mouth up. So I met him behind the baptismal right before church started. And we went at it. I don't know if we hit each other, but we were swinging fast. You know, because when you're a kid, you don't know how to punch. You just swing, right? And I remember this lady coming in. And she skull dragged us both around to the bathroom. And she was like, Poof. it's amazing how women can turn into like the Incredible Hulk. Say, break that up. And she brings us to the bathroom. Now, make up. Say you're sorry. To this day, we're best friends. If it wouldn't have been for the conflict, we might not like each other. Now, we don't play with markers around each other. Right? That's going to start a war again. I mean, come on. We've got to be smart. You see, if you don't face resistance, after a while, you don't get to fly high anymore. Amen? Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 10. I want to show you a story of an offense. It's kind of a funny story, but it's a, it's a story of offense it's a story of David and some of his uh, ambassadors, his mighty men. Um, we'll pick it up in verse 1, chapter 10, 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, sometime after this, King Nahash of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanan became king. David said, I'm going to show loyalty to Hanan, just as his father Nahash has always, was always loyal to me. So David sent ambassadors to express sympathy to Hanan about his father's death. We still do this today. If there's another country that loses an ambassador or loses a president, the United States sends a representative or an ambassador to that country just as a, as a sympathy, as a sign of honor, just to say, hey, we're here with you just to condole, right? It's, it's, that's what David was trying to do. David was trying to do the right thing. He was, his heart was to honor Hanan because of Hanan's father, Nahash. So David sent the ambassadors to Hanan to show respects for the loss of his father. Now watch what happens. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanan, their master, do you really think these men are coming here to honor your father? No, David has sent them to spy out the city so they can come in and conquer it. So Hanan seized David's ambassadors and shaved off half of each man's beard. And cut off their robes at the buttocks. You can laugh. And sent them back to David in shame. You can be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing for the right person and get offended. Did I just prove that to you? Their heart was to do the right thing. What happened to them? They got half their beard shaved off. You might not think that's a big deal, but in those days and in that region, your beard was a sign of your authority and your status. It talked about how good of a man. You couldn't grow a good crop. You weren't much of a man. About once a year, I shaved my beard 
for some weird reason or another. Usually when the family gets bored. I'll shave my beard, do something stupid, and walk out the bathroom. And so this last time, I shaved it, and I left me some handlebars. All the way. I always wanted to see what I look like with some handlebars. You know, like them biker handlebars? You know, like, come down right here. So I shaved it all up, walked into the living room. Everybody's watching TV. I'm just like, and, and usually Anna will see or somebody, and they're like, Dad! Oh, my God! And then they make this big old deal about it, right? But that's fun. And then after I have to shave the handlebars off because I can't live like that, I got to watch this ugly thing grow back. Right? They shaved off half of their beard. And then, I'm not going to demonstrate it for you, but, 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 they, but they took a, a knife and they, sh- they, they cut off their robe somewhere up in here and, and their cheeks were exposed. I don't know if a preacher can tap his behind during a message, but I just did. And you, somewhere along the way, they, they were exposed on the backside. Are you seeing this? I mean, come on. I ain't going to lie to you. There wouldn't have been much Jesus in me. Right? I would have went home with somebody else's robe. I'm going to get me a robe. <laughs> I ain't going down the street with my stuff hanging out. <laughs> Amen? Right? Because enough is enough. <laughs> he shaves their beard off. He cuts the robe up to the buttocks, the Bible says. It's the Bible. This ain't me. It's the Bible. And then he sends them back to David. How many of you say, I'd be offended? Right? Four of you. The rest of you want your robes cut. That's fine. We'll have a robe cutting service after church. Send you home. (laughs) Don't get stopped. Now watch this. This is important. Verse 5. When David heard what happened, he sent messengers to tell the men, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow out and then come back. For they felt deep shame because of their appearance. So David hears about what happened. Now, David is a a figure of God. He's a figure of Jesus in the Old Testament. And these ambassadors of his are like Christians are like his Sons and daughters, you, you follow, you tracking with me? So David's like a Jesus figure and, and, and the ambassadors are like his children are, are followers of Christ. You getting this? So David hears that, that, that happened to them. And David says, hold on, don't come home. I know you, I know you're shamed. I know this is embarrassing. Go to Jericho and stay there. Watch this until your beards grow back out. This is important. Stay there till your beard grows back out. He doesn't say this, but I bet he said, and I'll send a seamstress to tighten up your robes. Right? But he said, go to Jericho. And and that's important for a reason, because Jericho stands for the sweet spot. Jericho represents the sweet spot. So what did David say? The father figure, the, the God figure. What did he say to his children who were offended? He said, don't get mad. Don't get angry. Don't turn around and fight. Instead, go to the sweet spot. Now, every one of us, if you're a believer, you have a sweet spot to go to. Whether you go there or not, that's up to you. But you have a sweet spot. It's called the, 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 the being in the presence of God. It's called getting alone with God and getting in the moment with God. So watch this. What's God saying to us today is that when people offend you, and they will, when they offend you, don't throat punch them. 
go to your sweet spot. Right? Shake your head. Yes. Go to the sweet spot. What does that mean? That means don't say nothing back. Don't fight back. Don't retaliate. Don't do something that would embarrass you more. Go to your sweet spot. Come close to me. Why? Because I need to speak truth over the lie they just spoke over you. I need, to, I need to come against what they just said to you. And you need to come over here and get next to me and grow out of these emotions that you're feeling right now. Come on. You need to grow out. Look at your neighbor and say, grow out of it. Look at the other neighbor and say, grow your beard back. If it's a woman, you can tell him anyway. David said, go to Jericho, the sweet spot, until your, your beard grows back. Watch this. Don't fight back. God never called us to fight back against flesh and blood, did he? Where's our battle? In the spiritual realm. Our battle is not flesh and blood. God never said fight back flesh and blood, did he? Did he ever say to throat punch somebody? Did he ever say to curse them out? He said, you can because your tongue's out of control. But he never said to do that. What did he say? Come to me. Let me help you process these feelings, emotions, and this wound and this hurt. And we're going to grow you up out of this thing. How does he do that? He does that by speaking truth to the lie that you were just spoken to. Somebody tells you, oh, you ain't no good. You greedy. Well, that's offensive, right? Instead of saying something back to them that might be true. I'm going to go to God and say, Lord, you heard what they said. You heard what they said. You're not greedy. I've seen your generosity. In fact, when I tell you to be generous, you're generous. So don't believe what they said. Here is the truth. And in that moment, in the sweet spot, God takes the truth and he slips out the lie and places the truth back into your life. If you don't go, you don't get that truth. And they don't go to Jericho, it gets worse, right? You fight back, it doesn't get better. You don't learn to let it go, it doesn't get better. It only gets worse. When you don't process your pain, it only gets worse. You got to process your pain with Jesus. You got to process it with God in the sweet spot. Come on, do you have a sweet spot? When somebody hurts you, do you have a sweet spot that you go to? When you're down and out and depressed, do you have a sweet spot that you go to? When you've fallen flat on your face in sin, is there a sweet spot that you can go to which is called God's presence? Do you know how to get into God's presence? It's simple. You get into a quiet place. And you quiet yourself down and you say, Lord, I need you right now. Would you come and be with me? It's one of the manliest things you can do. I was raised up, you, you a man if you punch somebody back. You a man if you defend yourself. You're a man if you know how to cuss somebody out. You can't cuss right, you ain't a man. That's the way I was raised. That is not godly. In fact, it's not even manly. <laughs> I'm preaching good. I don't... It's not even manly. It's, it takes a real man to not throw punch you, not cuss you out, but walk over here and get up in God's presence and say, Lord, whew, I'm mad. 
I'm about to knock somebody out, Lord. I need you. How do you know that, Pat? This is me. This is how it normally works for me. Lord, they mess with my kid, Lord. Right? You're like, Pastor, I don't know if I could go there. I don't know if I could either. Nobody's ever messed with my kid, and I pray they never do. But if they do, I will find out. <laughs> but my goal is to get to the sweet spot, right? Come on. Why? Because I need to be here because it's the godliest, manliest thing I can do is get into the presence of God and process this pain, process this offense, let him speak truth to it and push the lie out of it. Come on. Because when somebody says a lie to you, the enemy jumps all over that. Right? Oh, I've been telling you. Uh-huh. You see, they said it too. You lazy. You no good. Now watch this. If you don't get in a hurry to get to the sweet spot, you got to sit there and listen to the, the, the bull of the devil. I'm going to clean it up real good. You got to listen to the devil's bull the longer it takes you to get to the sweet spot. Come on. Listen, when you get offended, there's not a period of time that you got to go, well, I just got to deal with this myself. I got to post it on Facebook. I got to call Sarah and tell her all about my family. No. Before you call anybody, you go to the sweet spot. You process it with God and shut the devil up. Why? Because he needs to be shut up. Right? Come on, you know how it is. When you get offended, what happens? You start arguing in your mind. Well, I should have told him this, and I should have, and I should have said this. Oh, let me get into the person. I want to say this. And, oh, and they call your best friend that likes to murmur with you. Say, ouch. Get, get a, you know what friend you call when you get offended. Come on. Don't be all religious this morning. We all got that one friend that's got a big ear, right? They got one big old ear and a big old mouth. This ear's small, but this ear, they big, right? And all you got to do is say, mm. and then that ear goes, whoop. What happened, girl? Tell me all about it. I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, you're going to pray on me. You're not going to pray for me. Yeah, girl, we're going to pray for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to curse them, <laughs> right? You seeing this? Now watch, the Bible says something about this. This is point two. So the first thought is it's coming your way. You can't get away from it. It's just going to happen. Instead of taking out vengeance, you need to do this. You need to just, you just need to, you just need to not get them back. So my second thought is this, is you don't have to get them back. Come on. You don't have to. Doesn't matter how you were trained. It doesn't matter how you were taught. You don't have to pay back people. Say, I don't have to. Say it again. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't have to. Look at your other neighbor and say, you don't have to. Why are you making me say this so much, Pastor? Because you look like you don't believe me. Because you look like you like to get them back. I'm just being real. You don't have to get them back. Now watch what Jesus says. In Romans chapter, not Jesus, but Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. He says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather, watch this. This is so good. You don't have to avenge yourselves, Romans 12, 19. You don't have to avenge yourselves, but rather give place, give room, watch this, for wrath. 
You seeing this? You see, when you avenge yourself and you get your own revenge, you take God out of the equation. When you don't revenge yourself or avenge yourself, you make room for God's wrath to deal with them. You know what I want to tell people sometimes when they offend me? I want to tell them this. I've practiced this for a long time. And I've just never said it. But what I want to say to people when they offend me is, you better hope I throat punch you right now. Because if I don't throw punch you, God's going to throw punch you. And you would rather me throw punch you than God throw punch you. I promise you. But I'm going to back off and let God throw punch you, sucker. And then I would walk off. <laughs> you see, I got it down pat. It's in the holster. I'm ready to use it. Come on, somebody. I'm like John Wayne, baby. You, 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 you stand up in front of me? I'm going to draw on you, right? That's not right. <laughs> I said, Pastor. Hey, I'm feeling real good this morning. I'm getting this stuff off my chest. <laughs> But seriously, that's, that's what we want to do, right? We want to, we want to avenge ourselves. We want to get them back. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Who's vengeance for? Okay. I was expecting a little bit louder response. Who's vengeance for? It's for God. God says vengeance is mine. There's only two things in the Bible that God says is his. The tithe and vengeance. And he takes both of them very seriously. He says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I wonder if I get in front of his vengeance if I don't offend God. Because you see, here's the thing. Here's the big picture. God don't want you to get drawn into a flesh and blood battle because you're wasting time. Amen? He don't want you to get sucked into that thing. He wants you to be bigger. He wants you to grow your beard back. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to not be offended so easily. He wants you to look at offense as something that draws you closer to God and that pushes you further down. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, grow your beard. Grow up. Offenses are coming. I just want you to be ready. They're coming. And when they come, you need to be ready. If you're not ready, they're going to take you by surprise and you're going to slip up. Now we start off in Luke chapter 17. Let's go back to verse 1. Then we're going to tackle verse 2 because I want you to understand how serious God takes this vengeance. You see, sometimes we see God as this soft, sweet cuddly little God and we need to take him seriously because he takes us seriously Luke 17 verse 1 then then he said to his disciples it is impossible that no offenses should come but woe to him through whom they do come in other words it's going to be trouble for the person that offends you is what God's saying verse 2 It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than than that he should offend one of these little ones. That's where I got my statement from. (laughs) You better be glad I said something stupid to you because if God would deal with you, you know what I'm saying? That's why it's scriptural. (laughs) It's biblical. (laughs) But listen to that. It would be better if a millstone was hung around your neck and you were thrown into the ocean than to have to go through what I'm about to bring you through. God don't play. 
When he sent his son to die on the cross for you, he meant it. And he committed to the relationship he has with you. And he's not giving up on you. You may be giving up on him, but he's not giving up on you. He still stands there. And if somebody offends you, God's going to take his own vengeance out on them. Amen. God's going to avenge that thing. You don't have to avenge it. You don't have to post that thought. You don't have to say those words. You don't have to take those actions. You don't have to send that text message. It's the sorriest, lowest way to fight. It's through a text message. Even with the, 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 the memes, it's like red face. I'm like what? You seeing this? He don't want you to get drawn into the junk, into the drama, into the stuff. You just stay focused. You keep doing what I've called you to do. You keep running the course I've got laid out in front of you. Keep loving your wife. Keep loving your kids. Keep raising them. Keep doing the ministry I've given you. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. You ain't got time to be offended. You don't have time to play with that. You just, you just come to the sweet spot. Tell me all about it. I'm going to help you process the pain. I'm going to take care of them. You keep going this way. (laughs) Can I tell you, I've seen God deal with people that have offended me to the point where I've been like, okay, Lord, that's enough. Like, Lord, that's enough. No, stop, Lord. To where I can't take, I get uncomfortable. I've had people come against me and I didn't retaliate. Oh, but I wanted to. And I just said, Lord, that hurt. Because you know my heart behind this whole thing. And you know that wasn't my heart. He says, I know. You just keep doing what I called you to do. I'm going to take care of them. Okay. And then when he's taking care of them with his vengeance, I'm getting uncomfortable. And I'm like, Lord, that's enough. Because you see, you got to understand how much God loves you. You got to understand how much he takes you seriously. I'll just share something with you. One of my greatest, uh, I'll call it a fear, but it's not like a fear that that plagues my life. It's just, especially when my my kids were younger. If somebody would, would lay a filthy hand on one of my kids. I've talked to Pastor Bubba about this, and he and I, well, all the pastors, we talk about this. And if somebody would have ever, ever touched one of my kids, I'm telling you, I I don't know what I would do. That's that's what scares me. That's my fear. My fear is I don't know what I would do. I would want to do the right thing, but I'll be honest with you. I don't know what I would do to the person that touched one of my kids. Anybody feel me? You You understand what I'm talking about? You feel that? You feel that weight? You feel that, that, that seriousness? You feel that responsibility over your children? You feel that? When, you, when, I'm, when I'm talking about that, you're feeling that, right? Take that and multiply it times a thousand, and that's how God feels towards you. And when somebody or the enemy messes with you, God takes that seriously. And he don't want you to get in the way. He wants you to come to the sweet spot. Let him process the pain. And then keep on about the mission. He's going to take care of them. 
In fact, you do them a favor if you take care of them before God does. That's just for real. Amen? You got to let them go. You got to let them go. You, you got to not pay, pay them back. You, you just got to, you don't have to get them back. My third thought is this, and I'm going to wrap it up. You just got to let them go. You just got to let them go. Come on now, this is, this is where the rubber is going to meet the road this morning. Because you're just going to have to let them go. Pastor, come on, man. I got to let them go, yeah. You got to let them go. Well, what does that mean? You got to forgive them. Because you see, God takes vengeance very seriously, and he also takes forgiveness very seriously. I'm going to show you in scripture real quick how God feels about forgiveness or unforgiveness. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to wrap it up with this. You getting something? Matthew 18. Come on, we got to be big boys and girls. We're sons and daughters of the king. We don't need to be playing with these offenses. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 22. I'm going to read this to you. This is Jesus speaking. Peter comes to him. I'm going to start in verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? Have you ever wondered that? (laughs) Who sins against me? Seven times? (laughs) No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. To which I would go, dang. Right? Dang. 70 times. I don't even want to do the math. I don't want to know the total. Right? How many times you got to forgive? I don't want to know. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Jesus is talking about what he's getting ready to do for us. We're the servant that borrowed the million dollars, and now we can't pay it back. Jesus died on the cross to pay that back. That was paid back for us. When you give your life to Jesus, he forgives you of your million-dollar sins. Amen? All right. Verse 29. But when the man left the king, now that he's been forgiven, now that he's been set free, now that he has no more debt... He went to, to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment, by which that's where I got throat punch. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. Then the king called the man in he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me? Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Here we go. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart. Say it serious. You can't afford to harbor unforgiveness in your heart. You can't afford it. 
you'll live a life that's tortured and punished. Are you seeing this? And I want you to hear me this morning because I know how it is to forgive people that have hurt you. Especially when they've hurt you deep. It's tough. And I understand that. But God understands that too. Because you see, he forgave me. And my million dollars worth of sin. And he expects me to forgive anyone who would offend me. You seeing it? You got to let them go. You got to let them go. You got to forgive them. And I know there's, there's people in here this morning. And you've had a hard time forgiving some, some person or some people. Because they've done you wrong. And legitimately, they did you wrong. You see, you can be 100% right and they can be 100% wrong. And God still expects you to forgive them. Who's the vengeance for? God. The vengeance is God's. Who's going to pay them back? God is. What do we need to do? Forgive them. Why? Because unforgiveness locks me up in prison. They're at Disneyland having a blast. And I'm sitting here in Eunice, Louisiana in a pity party. You seeing this? That's how it works. When you don't forgive people. They go on la-di-da-di-da living life like it is. Don't care about you. They're not harboring unforgiveness in their heart. Right? If you are, you've imprisoned yourself in a torture camp. And you're living with torture. And the more you talk about it, the bigger it gets. The more you share it with other people, the bigger it gets. The more you let your thoughts get out of control and you think about it and you process it while you're laying on the bed at night trying to fall asleep when you can't because you harbor so much unforgiveness in your heart. It's only getting bigger. Left untreated and undealt with, it's like a cancer that just continues to grow until it kills you. We got to let them go. You got to let them go.